Hi, this is Nayetta. Hi, this is Tiffany. And welcome to The, the Help Show. Show. Welcome back, folks, and thank you for tuning in to our second series, The Year of the Arts. For our 11th episode of the month of November, we spread awareness about veterans and their mental health when coming back as civilians and how art can serve as therapy. Does it matter if a vet, if a vet comes back the same? Did you know, according to the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, estimates that PTSD afflicts almost 31% of Vietnam veterans, as many as 10% of Gulf War Desert Storm veterans, and 11% of veterans of the war in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Also, according to WoundedWarriorHomes.org, an estimated 22 veterans commit suicide every day in the United States. Also, according to the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, only 8% of the 5 million veterans using VA care have been diagnosed with the disorder. For those left undiagnosed and ultimately untreated, PTSD can have life-altering consequences, including hospitalization, unemployment, and poverty. Also, according to WoundedWarriorHomes.org, over 60% of our wounded service members suffer from blast effects or traumatic brain injury, TBI. Today's podcast music is produced by Davian Abney Music. To get your very own custom beats, email him at davianabneymusic at gmail.com. That's D-A-V-I-O-N-A-B-N-E-Y music at gmail.com. <sighs> Tiffany, <Yep>. happy Thanksgiving! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yay, happy Turkey Day. And that was what, last week? It was last week. <laughs> I don't know why we call it Turkey Day. You know we only there for the sides. It should be Happy Sides Day. You know, sides giving. That's what I should, they should call it. Or I would say something like Happy Side Chicken. <laughs> nope, that's not where I was going. I'm back. Macaroni cheese, green beans. Oh my goodness! What did you eat? What did you cook? I made green bean casserole. My famous green bean casserole. Yes, green bean casserole can be good if you put lots and lots of bacon in it. Oh, you know what? It really can. Mm. Bacon, mushrooms, fresh stuff, fresh green beans. Don't do the. Don't do can. Don't, please, please don't, do, don't can. do can. Oh my it's god! So slimy and it does not bake well in the oven. It mm. looks gross when it's done. Slimy. Mm. Mm. I do not use that. I use fresh green beans. Oh, do you pluck them just? Oh, look uh, I, I get them at the, fr- the, the grocery store. <laughs> I rinse them off. You rinse them. <laughs> I blanch them, which just means put in some hot water and take it out real quick. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I got some skills. I watch a little food network. Okay, okay, okay. What did you cook? Um, the question is, what didn't I not cook? <laughs> Wait, no. What did you cook? Oh, I cooked everything. Like, um, we did, um, it's called an oyster dressing, which is absolutely amazing. Really, really good. Um, we did turkey. We did chicken. We did, and I helped cook all this. We did, like, Wait, fl- let's go back to the oyster dressing. What do oysters and turkey have to do with anything? Because it's a dressing. It's really good. Why is it, is it oysters in it? Like, yes. the kind you get out the shell? It's really good. Like, you would never know. I mean, I make chicken dressing. I also made chicken dressing. Uh-huh. Well, hen dressing. Um, okay, like, okay, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around. I've heard of it, but I was like, is that a Thanksgiving thing? It's, it's a good Thanksgiving thing. It is actually well, what really, really. Where does that come from? Is that a, is that Caribbean? Is that? No. <laughs> it's Dang. an American thing. You you know, sometimes that traditional, regular chicken um, dressing is boring. Well, that's because you don't know how to make the chicken. Whatever. What? No, it sounds good. It I'm just like really trying good. to figure out how I made it to the middle of. It was good. Everybody's like, can I get some of that? What's your dressing? It's very delicious. Mm-hmm. And we did mac and cheese, of course. 
Um, is it like anything that you could think of with, with Thanksgiving um, we made? Plus, I was in New York, so it was like 26 degrees. And then when the wind blew, it was 6 degrees. <laughs> and um, that was very cold. Um, and something that I don't think I want to get, a, you know, I said I was going to move there, but I don't know. This coldness is wonderful. Oh, I still have uh, not to make light of PTSD, but uh-huh. I do have some amnesia about the couple of years I was, couple of winters I spent in New York. I, you know, I, I lived through a snow apocalypse and a oh snow these are the names that the people gave it when I was there. Oh my God. I'm just like, I remember going to class and like getting on a train and then it was spring. Like I don't <gasps> have, it's very, it's just a very fuzzy time in my life. But yeah, it, it'll get you. You just, you just gotta live, you can do it. Oh, chicken do it. Oh, whatever. So talking about PTSD, so what about the vets in your life? You have any vets in, that you have as family, your friends? I know I have a lot of military people in my on both sides of my my immediate family. I have uh, I have an uncle in the navy that was in the navy. I have an uncle that was in the army. Mm-hmm. A cousin that was in the army. Uh, one of my uncles was in the air force. Um, yeah, I had a an uncle who passed. He was also he was a cook actually in the army. Oh wow! And so he ended up having like a, a business when he came back. Um, my uncle that was in the air force worked for the TSA for a long time. Oh and, wow! And now he's back in transportation, so he he was always in logistics. Mm. Um, so all of them that came home, they usually had jobs related to what they did in the military. Hmm. I'm trying to think of close friends. Um, well, my best friend, her her partner is uh, is an army vet. He recent he did two tour two tours in Afghanistan, and so he's been back uh, in the states for about three years uh, and just finished his last term. So he's out of the military and. Transitioning back to civilian life. Oh, that's super cool. That's super, super cool. about you? Um, my brother um, was in the military. My nephew um, was in the military. That's who I, I can only... Um, and I dated a guy that was in the military. Um, We've all dated guys. He's like, you're anything special. There's too many men in the military. <laughs> For heterosexual women. Yeah. <laughs> to not have dated at least one man in the military. I dated a guy in the military. Yeah. Um, oh, my other friend um, was in the military. Really cool. Um, we've, we're still friends to this day. Give up to my boy Kevin Williams. Woo woo. That's my friend. He's a really good friend of mine. He does something with the, with the federal. Now um, he was a police officer, mm-hmm. and so. Um, oh yeah, my best friend's dad too, who's like my surrogate father. Yeah. Uh, my father was flat footed, so he couldn't go to the military. At least that's what he tells me. <laughs> As he tell, okay. okay. And my, <laughs> but yes, he was a marine. So I was like, I, I know someone in each branch: Army, Navy, uh, Air Force, and the Marine. Oh, wow. Um, we just thank you all for your service. You'll probably hear us say that a lot. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate because um, someone had to do it. I'm just right. saying. Right. Okay. And so uh, during Nayeta's research for this month, uh, we found a, a lot of famous actors, not as many actresses as we would like. But yeah, yeah, that was hard to find. That was, that was so hard to find the famous celebrity actresses. Yeah. Um, or, you know, music. And, and what I realized, there, there are more musicians that come out of the um, out of the Air Force and Navy. Um, I'm noticing, like, um, for prime example, like, or or a person that acts or an actor comes out of the um, at the Air Force or Navy. 
I actually, what's her name um, from the Golden Girls? And every time I think about B. her, Arthur. B. Arthur, when I saw, I was like, oh my gosh, she was in the uh, military. And all that I could say was, thank you for being a friend. What? She's been practicing that song for like 15 minutes. You know what? Don't judge me, okay? I'm not judging. That Just was my the background. That was my childhood. Like, the Golden Girls, I wanted to be a Golden Girl. But we should, me and my siblings call it the Chocolate Girls. But we wanted to be Golden Girls too. Yes, B. Arthur was a great actress, great comedian. Very good to comedian. know that, you know, she spent time in the military uh, is, is really cool. Uh, George Carlin, um, who was a famous comedian, he was in the military. And yeah. you would think it, some of the people that we found were like, you know, comedians that are like, you know, they kind yeah. of push against authority. So it's interesting to see that they were actually, you know, I think it'll push it against authority. Yeah. Someone who's. <laughs> yeah, like Ice T. I would, you know what? I would never thought he was in the military, but now you think about the the roles that he play, that he plays so extremely well. Mm -hmm. um, I can I can actually see that, and of course we know about Chuck Norris. Oh X. yes, the the human superhero basically. <laughs> I mean, I haven't heard a good Chuck Norris joke in a while, but you know, he he's a very strong man, and he's like in his mid seventies, probably. Pushing I got 80. one. Knock knock. Oh, she's a Chuck Norris joke. Though. Who's there? Chuck Norris. Chuck Okay. <laughs> that was good. Come on, man. Give me some credit. Okay. Come on. <laughs> the joke. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and one more last before we start the show with Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman, man. A.K.A. God. A.K.A. Who else is he been in TV? I don't know. The Voice of the Penguin March. March of the Penguins. Yeah. He's done a lot. He's done soap operas. He's done children's programs. Very talented. Name it. He's pretty much... He's done something related he, to it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the military is definitely a, something that we are glad that exists. Of course, there's a lot of controversy about Most definitely. Like that, but yeah. as far as the people giving time and giving their youth and their lives just to, to protect and serve That's our a, nation... Thank you. We can never, ever be mad at that. Never um, at all. So, yeah. Diana uh, did two great interviews this month. Fortunately, you know, she, she was floating around. I was all out of commission. You know, she held it down as the great leader she is. And so we got two great interviews. We have two special guests, psychiatrist, Dr. Kenneth Rogers, MD. He works at the VA hospital in Dallas. And John Anthony, who's a Navy veteran, actor, musician, and producer. He's based in New York City. Uh, thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Nayetta. And you're listening to The Help Show. This month, we at The Help Show, we're raising awareness about veterans and their mental health, um, the process of coming back to civilian life, and the impact that art therapy um, have, have on them. So this month, I want everybody to give a, a nice applause um, to our special guest, Dr. Kenneth Rogers. Yay! So, um, Dr. Ken and I have been kind of talking, so he has given me the honor of calling him Dr. Ken, so he's going to be Dr. Ken. <laughs> but we kind of um, um, been talking about, you know, him him growing up and him moving to Dallas because he's not originally from Dallas. And so before I kind of, because I'll, you know, get to going into the interview, then I'll, like, be totally off a task. <laughs> so um, before we start the interview... Um, I want to 
give you the the help shows. Um, warm welcome. It's called the TTT. We call it thank you, thank you, thank you. We're always so grateful to have the expertise um, in the mental health um, realm of the industry to come and interview with the show. So first of all, we want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're so humble that you're here today. Well, thank so, you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And so we're going to start this off um, with our first question, as always. So, Dr. Ken, tell us about yourself. Well, Nayette, I'm a native South Carolinian, I'm born, bred in South Carolina. Spent most of my childhood there. I'm the youngest of seven kids. Um, two great, two great parents. The thing that was interesting in my house growing up is my dad had a third grade education my mom had a fifth grade education and so they really emphasized going to school getting an education and making something of yourself so went off to college thought i was going to be a high school band director i was a music education major um, and then met a college professor who said you really should think about this whole medical school thing because you're actually good at the science stuff so i changed course decided to go to medical school and eventually decided to go into uh, psychiatry and child and adolescent psychiatry. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So you're going to, I can just imagine you now in your band gear. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love this. I still love playing the saxophone. Oh, cool. Cool. So um, this month we're talking about um, the veterans and PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. And so before we go into what are the symptoms, a lot of people, they're very not, they're not familiar what is post-traumatic stress disorder. What is PTSD? So post-traumatic stress disorder, let me say, you know, a late happy Veterans Day to all the, all the veterans who are out there who served, served our country. Oh, definitely. Um, I think that PTSD, if you look back at World War II, they called it shell shock. Um, and it was a disorder that really wasn't recognized quite as well in terms of what it was until really the Vietnam War and the post-Vietnam era. So PTSD really consists of several different areas. The first one is you have an event that occurs in your life where you're fearful that either you're going to be killed or that something very negative is going to happen to you. Okay. That then leads to flashbacks, which include things like not being able to sleep at night, um, nightmares, intrusive thoughts that are occurring, um, et cetera. And then you have this kind of feeling of numbness. I don't enjoy life. I don't get the pleasure out of things that I used to enjoy. And so you become a lot more withdrawn and um, not really engaged as much as, as you would be otherwise. Oh, wow. And so with them going into the Army, Air Force, or Navy, any of the military um any type of military is it all do they all do, do does everyone in the military does everyone have PTSD no as a matter of fact PTSD is not as common as you would think it is so if you look at a group of um, soldiers sailors that go off to a war-torn area okay you're actually going to get a relatively small number that will come back with post-traumatic stress disorder there are a number of risk factors that, that you deal with with PTSD. The first one is, do you have a pre-existing history of depression or anxiety? So if you had anxiety as an adolescent, you had um, depression as an adolescent, you're going to have greater risk of having PTSD later in life. Okay. What are your coping skills like before you go away? 
Now, we all know that you can take a group of, you know, 100 kids, expose them to something really difficult. There are some people that will recover from it very, very quickly and don't think a lot about it. There's another group that will have a lot more difficulty. Same thing is true of PTSD when you're going off to a war-torn situation. If you're a kid that recovered very quickly, you're, you're going to have less of a risk of having, having PTSD. And then the third piece is your exposure to traumatic um, events. Yeah. So if you look at, you know, war, I, it's, it's really horrendous the kind of things that people experience at var various points in time. I first started training in the early um, 1990s, 19, late 80s, early 90s. And the thing that you saw a lot at that time were people that were in a lot of countries doing things that weren't necessarily on the radar screen, which was my first experience with with PTSD. Mm. Um, and having seen people murdered, seeing people killed, seeing people losing body parts right. um, is quite difficult. Now, the thing that makes the modern era so much more difficult is our ability to save people hmm. has gotten a lot greater. Right. So if you look at World War II, your survival rates were much lower than they would be in Iraq and Afghanistan. Hmm. You have better medicines, you have better techniques available, and you have more personnel at the front lines to be able to take care of soldiers. So people that would have died in the past are now surviving. So you get soldiers that have had horrendous injuries, mm -hmm. a lot of traumatic brain injuries um, that are able to make it back home, which in the past they wouldn't have. Um, and so I think as a result, you're seeing more people with PTSD that are surviving than you would have in the past. Oh, wow. So we kind of spoke about it, about the being diagnosed to a certain extent with PTSD. So how are people usually typically diagnosed when if I would if someone would come into your office, how would you diagnose them with PTSD? If a veteran would come into your office, how would you diagnose them with PTSD? Well, the first thing that we would do is I would take a thorough history. So what was your experience like? What was your exposure like? And it's not always what was your risk of dying, but oftentimes, what was your perception of the risk of dying? So, for example, even if you're in a combat zone and you're talking to a general someplace, it may look like the exposure to a violent incident didn't happen as much with that individual. Yeah. But the individual may have seen things, may have heard things that actually they felt like they were going to die. Hmm. Thus, you see an increased rate of PTSD. And so you take a really thorough history of not only the experiences that occurred, but what was the perception of those experiences that, that occurred. The second thing we would do is we try to get what we call corroborating evidence. So family members, records, all those kinds of things that help us understand symptoms that you've had. So how is this person sleeping at night? How are they engaged with other folks? Are they having periods where they're getting angry for little or no, no reason? Hmm. Um, are they having difficulty of being withdrawn and numb? Are they having more symptoms of depression and anxiety that they may not have had in the past? And so really beginning to get a thorough history there. There are also a number of psychological tests and test batteries that we often have people take where you're seeing a psychologist that may do um, some screens with you for PTSD as well. And all those things generally take anywhere from 
you know, an hour or two to sometimes longer, depending on the on the situation. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And so um, with the situation, what are the what are the similarities between veterans and non-veterans with PTSD? So if you look at PTSD in general, there, there are really two groups of people that we have studied really well. Okay. Um, the first group are are veterans. Um, that have been exposed to war-torn areas. The second group are female sexual assault victims. Okay. Um, so if you look at the difference between the two, okay. you really look at two things in exposure to a trauma. The first one is, is it a one-time trauma or is it an ongoing trauma? Okay. So a one-time trauma is I was on a mission, my Humvee was blown up, people got thrown out, and I saw my friend killed. Okay. So that's a one-time event. It occurred, and it's over. Okay. No other exposures to trauma. Okay. On the other hand, you've got individuals who are exposed to trauma for extended periods of time, one, two, three, four, maybe 10, 12 times. So I've been out on a mission. I saw a person X killed. I was on another mission. I saw these other people injured. I may have been injured myself. And right. so over the, over time, what you see is a number of things that are really more cumulative and stack up. So, for example, if you look at deployments that have happened um, more recently, what you see is really shorter deployments, but also more intense deployments. Right. And periods where you often don't know where the stressor is at any given point in time. So, for example, if you were in World War I or World War II or even in Vietnam, what you saw was a place that I am going out to, and that is where the fight is going to occur. Mm. When I'm behind the front lines, generally I am relatively safe. If we look at what's happened in Iraq and Afghanistan, what we're seeing is people with a heightened level of anxiety because there's not just the threat without where you're actually going out, but you're now embedded with individuals who you aren't quite sure whether you're trusting or not. And so you look at the number of attacks that have occurred from folks that were embedded with the troops. So now you've got people that are anxious about being outside and fighting, but also within and fighting. And so Oftentimes, people don't let their guards down very much. And so you end up with a heightened state of anxiety for often months on end, um, which has some really negative consequences. Right. You know, it almost, this might be inappropriate, but it almost sounds like those neighborhoods, with the Sperry neighborhoods where there are a lot of police brutality, where people see um, the injustice of the minority being beaten by the police or being shot by the police or being um, harassed by the police. And then, you know, they get into a point where they're feeling PTSD. I might be talking, you know, this might not be correct, but this sounds like PTSD when you constantly see someone in your community being harassed, being assaulted. Then the question is, when am I next? Well, what happens is you often feel under siege. And when you feel under siege, your cortisol levels go up. And okay. cortisol does a lot of interesting things in our in our body. It's how we mainly manage stress-related disorders, but it also causes a lot of, lot of disease. So for example, if you get in the heightened cortisol levels, what you often see is people who become very hyper-responsive, people right. who may actually gain weight. 
um, people who become more depressed. And so what you begin to see are consequences, not just of post-traumatic stress disorder, mm. but also increased depression. Um, if you have other mental health issues, such as you know bipolar disorder, for example, you may see those disorders getting, getting a lot worse. And so PTSD is just one of several disorders that you may end up seeing in an individual who's exposed to chronic stress. Okay. And so during the years that you've um, done your research and you've seen um, different veterans and even non-veterans um, be diagnosed and be treated um, with PTSD, how's the conversation around that? How has PTSD conversation changed? Well, the conversation really centers largely around what are we trying to do? What are you trying to, to accomplish? Because part of the difficulty and the reason why most guys often come in okay. is it's often not necessarily them deciding I'm coming in for treatment. Okay. Frequently it's going to be a, a wife or a girlfriend who says you need to get some help. Right. Or an employer who says you're having a lot more difficulty at work, so I really need you to need you to get some help. Right. So there are a lot of guys who decide I'm not even going to get treatment because they don't recognize what's going on. Right. Oftentimes people turn to alcohol, right. they turn to other drugs, so you see huge substance use issues <laughs> in guys that would otherwise have PTSD, and a lot of it's just self-medication. So I'm I'm can't sleep at night, I'm having these flashbacks. Right. The primary thing is I'm gonna get a little bit of weed, I'm gonna drink myself to sleep. And so what you find over time is you get this interface between substance use and PTSD and a lot and a lot of vets. And so rather than having just one issue that you're dealing with now, frequently you're having two issues that you're dealing with. The primary PTSD that you've dealt with for a number of years along with the drug use, um, mm. the tapping on the on the other side, it frequently destroys careers and destroys families, right. um, and makes life very very complicated. And so as a result, what you begin to see, unfortunately, in a lot of vet populations, are individuals who really can't maintain jobs. Mm. They may end up becoming homeless um, right. in many, many cases, and so a lot of the guys that you see on the street that are vets are people who just have never been able to cope getting back home, never really sought the treatment um, that they needed. I was recently talking to a friend whose son returned from Afghanistan last year, and she was describing a situation where here's a young man with lots of talents, graduated from high school with honors, enlisted um, in the Army right out of, right out of high school. And she was saying that most of the time now he spends his days at home. He doesn't engage. He has these really bad nightmares. She mm. hears him screaming at night, mm. but he absolutely refuses to go to get help mm. because he says, I can deal with it. And so her fear has been, I see him smoking weed. We tell him he can't do it in the house, right. but he goes out in the yard. He goes into the woods. Um, we're seeing more alcohol bottles around. So she's really pushing and trying to get help for him and encouraging right. him to get help. But he frequently, he won't do it. Right. And so I think there are a lot of family members that are pushing individuals. And it's only that kind of intervention that will eventually get people into, into treatment. Yeah, you know, um, sometimes I think 
<clears throat> it's just the verbiage that you use to actually get them help. If it's like treatment, like treatment, like, you know. I'm not crazy. Yeah, I'm, what? <laughs> What are you talking about, Willis? Oh, just, you know, not me. Yeah. I think that if you say, you know what, you should do like group activity, which would be group counseling, but kind of change the verbiage. It's like, okay, you know, you have people that have similar characteristics as yourself that can understand what you're going through, you know, instead of making them feel that they're being singled out. Yeah, and, and, and I think that if you look at, you know, a place like Dallas, there are places that do a really good job of reaching out to vets and not stigmatize as much. So you've got the COIN Center, you've got the vet centers okay. around Dallas that really do a great job of not identifying it as, I am going to see a doctor for place for problem X, or I'm going right. to do this. But what those two places do a great job of is really normalizing the situation. Because right. a lot of vets are really helped as much by other vets right. as they are people like like me. A lot of times it's a matter of being able to express what's going on, to feel like I'm not the odd man out, okay. um, and to have some sense that what I experienced had value associated with it. Okay. Um, and so what most of those organizations do is really pulling vets together okay. to be able to talk. I, I like that. So let's say hypothetically, let's give me, pretend I'm a vet, okay? And I have PTSD. What would be some creative interventions that you would do for me? Like what, how would you help me? Or how would you get me help? Or how would you empower me? Or what would be, what would you do? The first thing I'm going to find out is how did you end up in the conversation that we we're talking to today. So how, how did you end up in my office and why are we having this conversation? Was it something that you recognized? Was it something the family recognized? And what's your motivation for change? Okay. So that, that's going to be issue one. Okay. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look at what are the natural strengths that exist in this person's life? Okay. Um, do they have a strong family support system? Are they involved with you know, a church or other religious-based organizations that may be um, important to them. Are they involved in vet organizations mm. um, in locally? Um, are they involved in any community-based organizations that, you know, center around um, vet issues? I see a lot of guys that, you know, are in motorcycle clubs. Right. Um, and their motorcycle group is the group that they really engage with. So... How can we find those natural strengths that exist that people start to withdraw from? <laughs> so the first thing I'm going to want to do is to kind of encourage the person to plug back into the things that they may have withdrawn from that they aren't using naturally. So that's, okay. that's number one. The second thing that I'm going to do is to see what their comfort level is of receiving treatment in whatever kind of setting exists. So is it the vet center, which may be a little more laid back, may not be, people don't see it as being as confining or as medicalized as a model um, that you have um, in a VA setting. Okay. Or do you go to um, a VA hospital? Yeah. Now, the thing that I think VA hospitals do extremely well is you've got a lot of vets that are working at the hospital okay, um, and the hospital clinics. And so you have people that identify with where you are Most in, in many cases. The second thing is you have innovative things like, you know, group therapy, 
with people, again, that have similar kinds of experiences that you've had in the past. Now, more recently, what we've seen is a lot of outdoor therapies, more wilderness therapy, more equine therapy with, with horses um, huh. and horseback riding, learning how to care for animals and those kind of things. And there's some emerging evidence that those kinds of things actually work really well. What about art therapy? Art therapy is a is another one. As a matter of fact, I was just thinking as you talked about that, I've seen some really beautiful art at the VA here here in Dallas. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I talked to a vet who was just finishing up a group one day, and just within the course of an hour, did this you know work on an American flag that was just something to behold. And for him, it was one something he highly respected and identified with. Okay. And secondly, it was something that allowed him to feel like he was doing something positive with his hands to kind of work out some of the anxiety when it was there. So art therapy, I think, is a tremendously um, important um, thing to have. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, what are common misconceptions about people with PTSD? Most common misconception is this person is going to kill themselves. Mm. Now... That being said, the suicide risk among vets is extremely high. Okay. Um, and the last VA secretary, um, Shulkin, really was trying to have zero suicide among vets. So if you look at vet suicide, it's incredibly high. Okay. Now, what's extremely concerning about it is when you look at vets that have received care and vets that will, don't receive care, Vets that receive care have a much lower suicide risk than vets who don't receive care. So the first thing that we really encourage people to do is, you know, to get in, to engage with something. Where, wherever it is you feel like you can plug in, get there and get engaged and, and active. Um, the second misconception is, is that people don't recover from PTSD that it's going to always be there, that people are going to be totally debilitated their entire lives. Right. What we know is that with appropriate treatment, with appropriate interventions, people do recover. People do get better. Will there be things that may be lifelong? I would be lying if I said no. But can you live a whole functioning, lovely life where you're enjoying things? Absolutely. And so. I've seen it many, many, many times. I think so, too. I absolutely think so too. There's nothing 100%. That is, <laughs> there's, that, that there's is nothing 100%. Yeah, 99.9, but there's, <laughs> not a, there's not 100%. So I, I think you can live a healthy life um, with PTSD. And, and I always say, what is normal? You know, I think normal is like something made up. There's nothing normal. I think you can live healthy and happy and loving um, having PTSD. So how can family and friends, you kind of spoke on it a little bit, but how can family and friends of vets help their loved ones when they return home from the service? How, like, what can they do? Well, the first thing is making sure that you kind of wrap your arms around the person that's there. So making sure that people are engaged in family events and they feel that they're part of or the community. Okay. Um, so oftentimes you see people coming back and life is very, very different. Um, my dad was a World War II vet. Hmm. And of course, that was way before I was born. But I've listened to my mother talk several times about when he returned from Germany um, and what that experience was like. He was an ambulance driver. 
um, in Nazi Germany. And I never heard my dad talk much about the war, never brought it up hmm. until one day I happened to be listening to some Adolf Hitler recordings for a class assignment. And I've never seen my dad become agitated. He was a very laid back guy who never became flapped by anything. But that particular day, I saw my dad get really agitated. Hmm. Um, and my mother was very good at, one, getting me to turn it off and go do my assignment somewhere else, <laughs> but also helped me to understand Why? what was happening at, yeah. the, at the time. Um, and so I think the more that you can help families really wrap themselves around the vet and what's going on, it's critically um, important. Oh, wow. Um, but that's that's good that you're that you could identify like something is going on. I, like you can put those two together. Right. Okay, he was in Germany. Okay, he's here in aid of Hitler, which probably make me upset too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I might be a little angry too, and, and, a little and agitated. It, it was really interesting that up until that day, I never knew what my dad did in the war, huh. because he never he never talked Tibet. about the army. He never talked about war. He never talked about anything he saw until that particular day. And so it raised a lot of Question. issues in my mind of, wow, this is interesting. Right. Why have I never heard about it? And right. so it's made me a lot more cognizant about asking the right questions and making sure that I get the information sometimes from other people because oftentimes the person experienced it may not talk about it. And do you, when they don't talk about it, do you think they, they, they suppress it? Well... The thing as a soldier is being a good soldier. Mm. And that for a lot of people means I'm going to basically hold things in. Right. I'm not going to let emotion stop me from doing my job, right. my duty. The mission is most important. And so having a mission-oriented mindset often causes you to suppress lots of other feelings and thoughts. It's yeah. a great coping mechanism if you're in a combat situation. Correct. I mean, I'm not gonna stand there and people are shooting at me and talking about how I feel. I mean, <laughs> right. that's just not the time to do it. Right. And so when you get back home, you're still in the mindset of, there's still things going on. I still have to deal with this stuff. There's no use of me going and talking about it. Right. And so a lot of times you get people that just feel uncomfortable having that conversation with another person, especially with a person who's a non-vet. Right. It's, it, it, you know, it is very, it's important to be cognizant about the conversations that you have and, and how people feel. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's so important. I don't think people really get that. They always think, well, it <laughs> didn't happen to me. That's selfish. <laughs> Just be cognizant. So <clears throat> we're getting ready to wrap up this interview. I'm just, I'm sad about it. I'm, I'm no because you got here at what four o'clock was it three no four and we've just been talking 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 and Dr. Ken is you're it's been at, a pleasant time man talking it's, to you. it's been beyond pleasant really great but before we close out this really great conversation about um, PTSD how can people find you in your work well currently I'm in um UT Southwestern Medical School in Parkland Hospital um, is currently where I where I work. Um, so the easiest way if you're trying to catch me is just go on the Parkland website and all of my information is there. I like that. Well, okay. I'm just going to call you. <laughs> all 
right. Well, anyway, thank you guys so much. And I want to I want to really thank our veterans for serving our country. Absolutely. And we, we appreciate owe, we, owe that. we appreciate everything that you guys do. Um, and I hope that if you are not a veteran, if you are a veteran and you feel that you may have PTSD, that you get yourself treated and you get, you know, yourself checked out, you know, so we can keep you around a little bit longer, <laughs> you know. Um, but thank you so much for listening to The Help Show and please stay tuned. Hi, this is Nyetta and you're listening to The Help Show. So I am here in New York City and um, on Thanksgiving, it's so beautiful out um, up here, um, and I am sitting here with John Anthony um, and he is a musician out of New York and so first of all he served our country so thank you so much Mr. Anthony for serving our country and so we're going to get this interview started and I'm going to start off who is John Anthony tell us a little bit about yourself Mm -hmm. I was telling him the father grandfather the godfather and for many years, a musician, producer, and director of, uh, oh. Oh, wow. I've served, served in the United States Navy for four years. Okay. Which I'm getting ready to go show you, to show you the last ship I was on down here, sitting in the harbor. Oh, wow. I'm halfway proud of it, though, I must say. Oh, wow. And so, that's sort of, that's sort of what, 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 what I'd be, be all about. Okay. So, so how did you, so how did the military service become part of your life? And well, when and where did you serve? I came, I came, out, of, came out of high school, and, uh, and I had an audition for... At West Virginia University, they had music scholarships down there, and uh, at that time, they didn't have any black, black, black musicians in the school of music, and they weren't going to give me a scholarship. And I remember I was singing at this white Methodist church, and one of the members of the church said, "John, you know, instead of trying to get into West Virginia University, you ought to go to West Virginia State, which was." the black school in West Virginia at the okay. time. And I looked at him and said, well, and I said, no, I ain't going to work. And I was <laughs> He's talking, not going to work. I had a good job there in town. I was working for in a machine shop and learning how to run machines and turn down wheels and stuff like that. Oh, wow. But I decided to pack up and go in the Navy because... Three of my brothers had been in the Navy, and I was the fourth one. They were all very proud of me that I did that. And so we all have pictures of us in, in blue Navy suits. Oh, wow. room <laughs> four, four of us. And, uh, and uh, the, Navy, the Navy sort of sort of worked out. I ran into immense amount of prejudice in, in the service. Hmm. and But I, I can handle it. It's one of the lectures I got from my boss, who was Italian, that I worked for while I was in high school, mm-hmm. was, don't let this racist thing get to you. And he says, you're going you're gonna to run across a lot, 
lot of stuff, but don't let them let them get to you. My father, sitting on our front porch in Pennsylvania, told me the same thing. Oh wow! The two guys. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I got my. I had myself in the Navy, and I wanted to audition for the Navy band. Okay. And they weren't accepting any black folks in the Navy band, nor were they accepting any singers. And singing was my thing. I had won, in high school, a state competition for vocalists. And they called it the, the forensics. And I went up state. Matter of fact, another one, one of the schools I wanted to get into was Penn State, uh -huh. and I was in the all-county band, and the director of Penn State band was there, I went up and talked to him, he says, you, you want to come to Penn State? I don't know, I said, I'll school you too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I have a question. So, you, so basically, you've been singing since like high school, but when did you know you were a musician, and what style of music do you connect to the most? Um, when I was about in eighth grade, I discovered that I had a voice, and then I started studying uh, piano when I was about 10th grade. I should have studied, started earlier, and uh, I studied voice until I had a good voice teacher. Huh. I graduated from Westminster Choir School. Oh, wow. And that's how I was able to compete in those competitions. Huh. He, helped, he helped me out. And I, I had a pretty good idea, and, 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 I, and I liked classical music. But I had a nun, though, Sister Me, I'll never forget her. Well, she was sort of a nun, she taught over the school, and I found out years later she was sleeping with one of the priests. Oh, well, <laughs> that nun wasn't a nun, now was she? <laughs> you know, she was. She wasn't holding back none. <laughs> he was giving none some. <laughs> she, she, one time she sent me down and gave me a... Oh. And she said, you know what you're talking about? She says, you have to listen to that King Cole. Oh, she okay. said, he has diction like nobody else. And that lived with me to this day. Huh. When I work with singers, I talk to them about who they listen to. And one of the people, I said, you must listen to Nat King Cole and understand hmm. how to manipulate diction when you sing. Huh. And, and it, it works. It works out. It works out. Oh, wow. And, and I'll, never, I'll never forget forget her sister made for that. That's <laughs> funny. The high school teacher I had was, a, was an alcoholic. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you had the nun that was giving up some and then this <laughs> She was a woman too. She was an alcoholic. She liked, she liked my voice. But oh. anyhow, well, I went I went into the Navy, mm -hmm. and, and when you go to boot camp, you have opportunities to join various organizations. Like I was in the marching band. Oh wow! I was in I was in the chorus. We came to New York and sang on on uh, a television show. And I remember we went to a restaurant and they gave us liver fried liver for lunch. Oh wow! It was, good. It was pretty good. good. So, Fancy French restaurant too, and, <laughs> and so I sang. I sang in the sang in the chorus and played in the band and stuff. But as soon as I finished boot camp, they sent me out to Oklahoma 
to be to be in, in electronics, and I wanted to go audition for the Navy band again, but they said, nah, ain't no niggas coming in here. Uh-uh. <laughs> and so I went to went to Oklahoma mm. and went went through a training out there, and then they sent me to Memphis. Oh wow! And I went to Memphis to learn electronics and learn how to fix the electronics on on, uh, on airplanes. Huh. And because I was part of Naval Air then. And also, I was singing my butt off. I studied, studied with a teacher in Memphis, a black woman, hmm. and I won a local contest on the radio. Oh, wow. And they gave me a little bit of money. And then, then I, I went into the All Navy, All Navy Talent Contest and won that. Huh. And from there, I connected with the Navy band. Oh wow! <laughs> I was on the road with them guys, recruiting other sailors to become, become part of it. But I had been assigned to a fighter carrier hmm. that, and the fighter carriers go on on aircraft carriers. Hmm. So as a result, I ended up going on the four stall. Then I then I went on the Roosevelt, and the Roosevelt was a six fleet command post, and they had a band, and of course. I talked to the band director and I became the band singer. And so I got a chance to perform in front of all these royalties and officials in Greece and and in Cannes and in all over all over the Mediterranean. I go out singing with the band and stuff. And I think I was telling you in the, a later a later cruise I was on this ship which you're gonna see in a minute down here. Okay. Yeah, the Intrepid and we pulled into Gibraltar, and I went ashore, and Aristotle's yacht was there, and I was standing ashore down the deck, and Winston Churchill came ashore, and I took some pictures of him. Oh, wow. I should have taken a picture with him, but I'm about that thing. <laughs> and it was really one of, the, one, of the, one of the great things. But finally, after my cruise, I got, I got out of, out of the Navy, they taught me, my, even my father-in-law said, John, you know, since Eisenhower time, there ain't no jobs out here. I said, Pop, don't worry about it, I got it covered. <laughs> so, so I have a question for you real quick. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you. So, you, so you're getting out of the Navy, okay? Yeah. And so how was the return to civilian life and how did it impact your experience in the service? <laughs> The return to civilian life is fighting, fighting starvation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not funny, but God, leave. Yeah, I went to Cleveland. Okay. My brother was in Cleveland. Okay. And I walked from one end of Cleveland oh. in, the, in the factory next street, close hmm. to, to 100, 100 blocks or more, looking for jobs, knocking oh, wow. on doors. Finally got a job. That's before yeah. the internet came out to you. Uh, internet, she <laughs> hardly had telephones. <laughs> Damn, no cell phones or anything, man. Oh, wow. I'd be looking through the papers and looking for people, and nobody was really hiring back then. But I got a job and because of my electronic background. Oh. But while I was in Cleveland, okay. I, I, I auditioned for... For a radio, a radio talent show, and I won that. Oh wow! And they gave me some stuff, and 
I, one thing I, I regret I didn't do was I had there was a black woman there who played piano, and she wanted me to do some demos for her. Okay. And because somebody had written some songs, and she went, and I said, I don't know if I do. She says, Come on, Negro, you're gonna get paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I still didn't do it. Didn't, didn't, didn't do it. I, I regret that. Should have. But while I was in Cleveland, I joined I joined the Cleveland Orchestra Chorus. Oh wow. Which did great music. We did we did Beethoven Night. We did St. St. Matthew's Passion and Bach, which almost converted me. Oh wow! Now I'm right over here to the to the left is the last ship I served on. Oh wow! That's the Intrepid. It's an aircraft carrier. Okay. <laughs> One of the things I had to learn to do was jump off the deck of that aircraft carrier and oh. swim. Oh That's wow! That's what I learned how to do in, in Oklahoma. Oh wow! They make you they make you get off of there. You had to jump off of there? Yeah, to jump oh, off of wow. that and swim. So you're a great swimmer, huh? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to swim when I went in the Navy. And oh, my goodness. You know, when you don't know how to swim, you go in the Navy, they push you off. The, they push you? They ooh. push you in the water. And oh the guy's there with a stick, and he pitches that, the stick I've never in the seen kitchen. a real ship in real life, only really? on, never. That That is, it's not one of the better carriers, but that was the last one I served on, and it's a mothball here. Oh, wow. And it has all those airplanes on the top that uh, that I used to fix. So, yeah. I, so you being in the Navy, what quick? So, what is the biggest assumption people make about the military veterans? Assumptions? Yes. What's the assumptions that they make? I don't know. What do they make? What do they make? I am paying attention to. It. You <laughs> said I don't even know. Look, I, I look. I surpass. I surpass. Right, right I have now, no idea. Right now, the military veterans, especially me, I get get a few benefits every now and from it. You know. Right. If I want a discount here, like I was bitching and moaning about Verizon yeah. charging me a fortune for, and I tell them I'm a veteran, and they they sort of give you a little half break here and a half. Just break a little, there. you said just a. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And I've been cussing them out left and right, <laughs> like, I'm a, like I'm a dude tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on. I have three more questions, then we're done with this interview. This is a really good interview. So how do you think art in connection with other veterans help service people with post-traumatic post stress disorder or other post-combat-related mental health substance you know, abuse when I, issues? When I was on, when I was on tour uh-huh. with... Uh, uh, with the with the Navy recruiting with Navy band recruiting other sailors, mm-hmm. one of the people I worked with was Les McCann. Okay. You know Les McCann? I do not. Les McCann wrote a song called "Trying to Make It Real." Man, what? And Les Les has done a lot of recordings now. Okay. Les had a drug problem. Okay. And and uh, he handled it. He came out and he, he got got right into the business, making recordings and everything. Mm-hmm. But he still, you know, everybody knows. That's even the guys, the pros I work with now, know know less. They know know what his what his problems were right. and stuff. Another guy I worked with was was lives right up the street here. Okay. Is is uh, is what. What's his name? God, his name. Hey, mother. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So yeah, and he he ended up singing with Harry Belafonte. Okay. And he stayed with him. And when I got out of college, mm -hmm. I came to New York. Okay. He had a group called the Feeney Singers. It used to be part of Belafonte Singers. And I joined their group, and that was my first paid job in New York. And it took we went to Japan and and toured and toured all over in Canada and stuff. And everybody. So the Navy relationship okay helped helped me get a, get a few steps and and the things and uh, I, I guess it made a positive contribution. Okay. Uh, I don't let too much negative shit get in my way. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, how you how did singing help you through the Navy, or being a musician help you out through the Navy in like in a mental in a mental perspective? Well, I had got all the background on electronics in the Navy, uh -huh. and had already been in music. And then after I came to Cleveland and then sang and sang uh, with the Cleveland Orchestra Chorus, conductor of it was Robert Shaw, who was one of the best choral conductors in the world. Right. And I got a full scholarship to West Virginia University finally. Right. After all these years. Right. I was one of the first blacks to go to school down there. Hmm. And uh, and after after I got out of there, I wanted to stay down there and get a master's degree, but the dean of our of our music school says, John, with your voice, New York is waiting for you. Take your ass to New York. <laughs> I said, but, 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 uh, man, <laughs> I was married with two kids. I wanted to stay in school and get a master's, you know? Right. Yeah, so I came to New York. And, and things, things happened. Things happened for really, you. Things really happened. And, you know, I popped, popped in with the Phoenix Singers, and, and then I got getting jobs all over the place. Mm. And uh, I think it was about 68 or so, I was working after Dr. King got killed, which mm. about killed me. Mm. And I was working on a film called Montgomery to Memphis mm. with a big time movie producer by the name of Eli Lando. And I helped him put the music together and pulled, did a lot of research for them. And at the same time, I got a job right up the street here on 44th Street mm -hmm. in Hello Dolly with Pearl Bailey uh -huh. and Cab Calloway and a whole, whole, bunch, whole bunch of folks. Mm -hmm. And I stayed in that a while. And then, then I got, a, got another job in the movie called Cotton Comes to Harlem mm -hmm. with Ozzie Davis, which is the first show he directed. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and and stuff just start bossing there. That, that, then I did after that. I did about four Broadway shows. Okay. I did Sweet Charity. I did a thing called Jimmy Walker, and I was in Oklahoma with Richard Rogers. Oh wow! And, and did and did that, and then and I got and I got more movies. While I was working on the King Music, I'm gonna show you how how life life turns. Huh. I you know it. We, we did this, I wouldn't make any money on the King movie because they were just paying folks enough to get by. Mm. And I had to do, I was doing some PR out there in the area where I live. Mm. And I went to this lady's house and she was uh, 
sort of the PR director for the uh, school districts. Mm. And I went to her house and, and gave her some material and showed her what we were going to do with the film. And we we're going to play it one night. And they were offering tickets to new folks and stuff. And her husband mm. was there, and he said, well, who, who did the music for the film? I said, well, I did a lot of research and put stuff together, and then I hired a composer to write some stuff. And he says, oh, really? Yeah, said, that's interesting. He said, well, when you're finished with this, come down to ABC, and I'll show you how we do music. Huh. I said, oh, okay. I thought he was bullshitting me. Now. <laughs> Another Jew motherfucker trying, to, trying, to, trying, to, trying to get over. But I went down to ABC. Uh-huh. And sure enough, he, he walked me through their whole system huh. of how they produce background music for and dramatic music for to back up the actors. Huh. Wow. And I worked on it, and he gave me some scripts, and I went home, and I took their music and their scores and I listened to it and I scored in a bunch of stuff. I did that for about two weeks. At the end of three weeks he says, I'm John, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, well, I got to go to Europe and do some recording over there and uh, while I'm going, you, 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 do the, you do the show. I said, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so he left me with the show. So. 13 years later. Oh my I God, was still 13 on that years. Show. 13 years later, 13 wow. 13 years I worked on that show, on One Life to Live. One Life to Live? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I have a question for you, John. We're going to wrap up. We're wrapping up this, this um, interview, which I'm very grateful yeah. that you're interviewing with the Health Show. What advice would you give young service people and their families about, you know, dealing, dealing with transition back to civilian life? And then also, how can people find you and your work? Yeah. So. Well, the thing I would, I would tell, and this is what I tell a lot of the young guys, a lot of young singers that, that come into New York and, and want to discover, you know, wealth and fame and everything, uh -huh. is, you know, if, if you haven't gone, gone to school, get yourself to school. Okay. For service people who come out, I tell them to take advantage of everything that they learned in the service, bring it out here because you can apply it into civilian life. You know, if you if you were an SP in the service, go to the police department. If you worked on airplanes like I did and mm -hmm. and learned and learned a lot uh, electronics, go into that field. That field is waiting for you. Right. They want to take advantage of all your skills. I mean, there is no need for you to come out of here and starve and, and live on the corner like some of the guys are doing in New York City. Right. I mean, just get in there and start and dig and and be and be consistent. I like that. I like I like be consistent. Yeah. And how can people find you in your work? Uh huh? How can people find you? Me? Yes. I got stuff all over the place. You know, I made I made recordings with Max Roach. I made recordings with hell and I'm the, in the background and stuff. I'm on on the recording of the Robert Shaw Corral version of of the Messiah, which is really the best recording of the Messiah that there is. Huh. If you really want to know how to sing, learn how to sing the Messiah. Uh, I mean, what else? I have? Well, you, I did a, a movie not too long ago with with Anne Hathaway. You know Anne. That name, that sounds you know, very, very... You know very the lady wears Pravda or the woman wears, the devil wears Pravda? Yeah, 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 
yeah. girl in there? Yeah. yeah. I did a movie with her called called Rachel Getting Married. Oh wow! And I was a, I was a was a father of a black guy oh. who married this white girl and stuff. And you fancy? With John John <laughs> John. Jimmy, that that movie's out there. As a matter of fact, I got checked for it the other day. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Help Show. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Please leave comments. We want to know what you think. So we are back. And you just listened to two amazing interviews. Super. And now we're going to process. Process is very, very important. Mm-hmm. So the interview with Dr. Rogers was great. Awesome I feel sauce. Like it was a great foundation for our listeners to kind of understand that you know, PTSD is not the norm. It is still something that's very specific, but because of what war is, it's not that difficult to get it. Right. And, you know, the questions that I was asking um, Kenneth, because he liked to call it um, Kenneth, excuse me. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, we just talked about PT, uh, PTSD in general. Mm-hmm. And so having being a minority in, in a disparity community, um, it, first of all, it just takes one time. Mm-hmm. I learned that. Yep. Um, it doesn't take numerous times, so I guess a couple pops upside the head. You know, hey, PTSD right there. What? Please. <laughs> it's not that simple. It'll take one time. Right. Okay. <laughs> yes, but you do not have to have multiple exposure to to, no. to have PTSD, but, right. you know, joke aside, <laughs> violence can be a trigger. It, you, know, sure. it, it, you know, it truly is, and then also uh, what we what we spoke about and what I learned, and what Tiffany, I, we also we talked about before we got on air, is that usually PTSD actually you you have it, and then going to war triggers your PTSD. So you can have issues, you know, before you get to war. So I don't want people to just blame it all on war all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have PTSD before you actually go into war. It doesn't and, have to be war. You could just be in the army or someone he's stationed somewhere. Yeah. In the way that you know some of some people's tours are, they're. So, you know, missions where they're supposed to be protecting the people in the city and then right. it turns turns bad. Or even our Navy, you know, Navy men that are, or Navy women are on the boats for a long time. Like being confined, that could be something that could trigger yeah. a childhood memory. Yeah. So, yeah, like you're saying, things that, that happened in childhood or adolescence. So what did you think about my boy, um, Mr. Mr. Anthony? Mr. Anthony was great. He seemed like a, a very personable person. Yes. And uh, talented. I mean, if he's able to go from just playing in the band to, right. you know, starting on a soap opera for 13 years. <laughs> for 15 years, thank you very much. Okay, correct, 13, 15. Yes. More, more years than I've done anything at all. And, and I think that 
what, you know, when he talked about, like, how did you join the Navy? Mm-hmm. It was just a family tradition. Right. And, and you notice that with a lot of the, because um, Mr. Um, Anthony, he's 82. I was saying 85. He was like, oh, hey, hey, I'm 85. He checked me, like, three times. But She was so sleepy, y'all. She couldn't even, like. one thirty in the morning, dude. Come on. Anyway, I'm oh, not going to get into this. <laughs> 1.30, I took it. Anthony, thank you. Mr. Anthony, thank you so much for interviewing with me at 1.30. He's a, it was 12.30 that, uh, Central Time, so whatever. She, she was she was jet lagged for one hour. <sighs> <laughs> anyway, so what you learned, especially in his era, a lot of the people that joined the, um, the Navy, the Air Force, or the Marines, um, it was always a family tradition. Mm-hmm. Like their father, their forefather, um, so, you know, it's just like when, when he said when he did, um, when he joined, everybody was so, so proud of him. And he was also proud of himself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we talk about PTSD and in, in the um, in the military, we don't want people to think, oh, if you go to the military, you're going to get PTSD because everyone also, they don't get PTSD. The majority of people do not get PTSD. Yes. And so we don't, we just want you to be aware of of PTSD. Of the risk and of yes. what it looks like and this, yeah. to be able to support the people you care about. Most definitely. And, this and one, if you are, you know, a veteran, knowing that your mental health is still important, even if you don't have symptoms. You can have symptoms and not have the whole disorder. Right. Mental health is very, very, it's a lot of variety. It's a lot of levels to it. So, you know, you may have the nightmares but not have anything else. Right. You still need to address your nightmares. Most definitely. You know, you may need to, I don't know. A lot of things can help with nightmares, but um, you definitely want to address any any discrepancies in your mental health or in your behavior uh, after coming back from service. And then also with Mr. Anthony, what I really appreciated, in the honesty <clears throat> with Mr. Anthony, but he was saying how hard it actually was for him to get a job after he after he became a civilian, as they, as they say. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, his era is so different because he's 82. And so now, he said when he looked for a job, he had to knock on doors. Mm-hmm. It was who you knew. It's not like that anymore. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's different to get a job now. You can get online, and before you get out of the military, you can have a job. Right. Well, they had to create those programs because of the things that people like Mr. Anthony had to go through and him being a person of color, you know, of course, added an extra layer of of difficulty um, to securing employment. But yes, now that there's programs and jobs that advertise, hey, we hire veterans, because they know the risk as well as far as them possibly having, you know, some PTSD symptoms. People maybe in the past when they called the shell shock were a little bit apprehensive to to hire, but I mean, the suburbs were were created because of veterans, you know, after World War II. They, they gave them land and gave them homes and in a way to thank them. The GI Bill mm-hmm. made sure that so many veterans, because there weren't enough jobs, right. were able to go to college. Right. And that educated a whole other generation. Um, so, so again, we, we as civilians ourselves, as people, we definitely are appreciative of the opportunities that people in the military have been able to take advantage of and also the opportunities that are keep that are being created like right. the wounded warrior project right. and different um art therapy um, yeah. things so acting singing painting drawing photography music they can do it all anything that can help them express what's inside right um because we, we didn't get to talk about some of the darker parts of it. Um, there's plenty of movies. I know I watched this show called This Is Us, and they're kind of exploring uh, the, the Vietnam War this right. season and kind of how this father, this great father figure in these characters' lives kept that whole part of his life a secret. Wow. And they have to do research now. He's been 
you huh. know, he's passed away from, you know, other things, and they're trying to figure out, piece it together. Like, like who was, was my father? Who was... 28 years before yeah. you met my mother, you had a life, and, like, that... What was his life? Now, yeah. oh, my goodness, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we want, we want our vets to know that we care about them Most and definitely. that their stories are important Most and that definitely. they have to tell it in order to release some of that pain because uh, it can't be easy to be with people you love, make new relationships with right. your, your comrades and then possibly losing someone or right. the many things that can happen. And I just feel like, you know, um, I was reading an article about the stigma um, in PTSD with military. And, you know, mental health in general, there's a stigma. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to say all the above. <laughs> for people that are civilians and those that are not. Mm -hmm. And so we encourage people um, that have PTSD, our military, to um, to get, go get help, you know. Um, we dedicate this uh, podcast to our military. And we also want you to know, if you do know a veteran that's struggling with PTSD, please call the Veteran, Cri the veteran Crisis Line at one 800 273 8255 and um, press 1. And so if you hear this podcast and say, you know what, I think I know someone that's a veteran that ha that might have PTSD, um, send them, you know, to the Veteran Crisis Line uh, so they can get some help. So we're going to um, end this, um, this podcast. I'm just, it's almost 2019. Almost. The next time we talk, it'll be many the days before. Yeah, man. And so... Whew. This year has been something. The Year of the Arts has been a, a beautiful thing. It has. I've, I've enjoyed every moment. Thank you so much, Tiffany. I've enjoyed every moment that we have spoke about mental health in general. And I've learned so much. I'm glad. I like watching other people learn. And I learned, even, even being in this field for so long, I, I learned something new every day. And so um, it's just great to combine two things that we both love, art and, yeah. and empowering people yeah. um, in one one project. So, this podcast is produced by Nyetta Reynolds, Tiffany Lindley, and Davian Abney. For more information and to donate, please visit our website at thehelpshow.org. Thank you for listening and please stay tuned.